everybody, welcome to another episode of 10 Things I Hate About Me, a show where we are quite literally making a list of 10 things we hate about ourselves. If you're new here, hi, I'm Sam, and one thing I hate about me is that earlier today I was eating Nerds gummy clusters, and I dropped one, and it landed directly into the sound hole of my acoustic guitar. I did have to shake it for a very long time before it came out. That's Simba chewing on plastic. Before we get into today's episode, I have something to share from a reviewer who told us one thing they hate about themselves. This was submitted by a beautiful angel named Lizzie, and she said, One thing I hate about me is that I am totally invested in the treat economy and need to buy one treat for myself every stinking day. You know what, Lizzie? I think I hate this about myself, too. If I hadn't bought those nerds gummy clusters as a treat today, I could have saved myself a lot of grief. But you know, as the phrase goes, a treat a day keeps the mental breakdown away. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts and leave us a review including one thing you hate about yourself so I can read it on a future episode. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also go to our Instagram and send me a DM or leave a comment. I might also start doing a thing once a week on Instagram stories where I post this as a question. So if you don't already, you can follow the podcast at 10 Things I Hate About Me pod. All right, so today's guest is very cool and smart and funny, and I was very excited to chat with him. We talked about his comedy show that's coming to Philly in two weeks, and also about how scary it can be to support yourself on your way to becoming a full-time comedian. So without further ado, because I know you guys love that phrase, here is <laughs> the interview. He's a Brooklyn-based comedian, and he will soon be in Philly performing his show Live After Death at the Fringe Festival. Everybody, welcome to the podcast, Ben Wasserman. Hi, Ben. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hi, everyone. Oh, I think legally I have to say it's that Blue Heaven Comedy Festival presented by Fringe Arts and not the Fringe Festival. Oh, okay. I'll get that right after. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's like a, a, I think it's a thing. I don't know. Uh-huh. You know, comedy festivals and stuff always competing. <laughs> All right. So our first segment, we're going to just jump right in. Um, it's going to be Roses and Thorns. Rose is the best or most rewarding thing that happened to you this week. And Thorn is the worst or most challenging thing that happened to you this week. Um, I'll share mine first. Cool. My rose is that I just had my favorite kind of weekend. I went to Ikea. I went to Costco for the first time. Whoa. I went to Bob's Discount Furniture. (laughs) Wow, you are spending money. That's a fun weekend. It was so fun. I went with this group of friends that is like buying a couch. They're looking for a couch. Okay. And I had never been inside a Bob's Discount Furniture before, but I... You'd only seen the commercials? Yeah. I, I'm i a devotee now, I think. Okay. Um, they chose a couch called the Betty Chofa, <laughs> which okay. every time I think about it, I'm like, wow, I love Betty Chofa. Yeah. I thought it was like couch and sofa, but that doesn't make sense because couch isn't chouch <laughs> right um but it's like a it's like a chaise lounge and a sofa Slash sofa, cool <laughs> and they have like free ice cream there and stuff like that they really wait what they yes. have free ice cream at bob's discount why isn't that in the commercials i know 
yeah, they have these little, like, um, it's just, like, the Hershey's, like, little cups of ice cream. Who cares? Yeah. A Dixie cup, whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was fun for me. And then, like, Costco, that was a whole experience. I can't believe that I yeah. have never, like, done that before. Mm-hmm. What'd you get? I went into it being like, Sam, you have to take it easy. You don't need to buy everything you've ever seen or wanted or needed. Right. Um, One thing that I spend money on is I got three different kinds of beef jerky. <laughs> Whoa. Because I'm a beef jerky girl, which is, like, embarrassing for me to admit. Um, no, 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 no. That's, like, a, that's like a quick, easy shot of protein you can take anytime you need a pick-me-up. It's smart. Yeah, beef jerky is always there for me. Yeah, you and truckers. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I got that, and then, like, I got, like, protein shakes. I... I don't know the people that I went with really well. It was, like, one good friend and then, like, her two good friends. Okay. So I was, like, I was like I'm coming off as, like, protein girl today. I think that's healthy. That's healthy. You're coming off as strong, uh, virile. <laughs> it's all good stuff. Yeah. And then my thorn, I think, is I'm experiencing, like, the fun day hangover. Because mm. now it's, like... It's a Sunday today, so it's like Sunday scaries and feeling like I need to do all the things that I was putting off because I was having fun this weekend. Totally feel that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, Ben, what is your rose and thorn? Okay. My rose is that on Friday, uh, I had the best chopped cheese I ever had in my life. It was an incredible sandwich. My friend Kyle and I, we went out uh, with our friend Matt. We were, like, dancing for a little bit, and then it was getting late. And we said, oh, let's go to the bodega uh, and get a chopped cheese for old time's sake. Because we used to run a comedy show together and do that after every show. Like once a week, we would go get a chopped cheese together. Is this Kyle Harris? This is Kyle Harris. Recent guest, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle Harris. Yeah, I wasn't trying to brag, but <laughs> I'm friends with Kyle Harris. Um, but yeah, no, we uh, went to this bodega near where we were at, which we'd never been to before. We just ordered two chopped cheese. And most of the time, you know, you get a chopped cheese, it's serviceable. It's a fine sandwich. It's nothing special. Sometimes it's like super whack uh, and not good. But we both got to our respective homes. And the first thing we said to each other, text, just being like, yo, home, this chopped cheese was incredible, isn't it? And then, yeah, Kyle was like, yep, best chopped cheese. So that was my uh, rose was having the best chopped cheese I've had in a very long time. And then my thorn, ooh, if I'm being real, yesterday I did uh, my shift at the Park Slope Food Co-op. And I get upstairs to start shopping. And my recent ex-girlfriend was there shopping. Um, oh no. Well, yeah, kind of. It was, uh, yeah, I said hi because it would be crazy not to. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't like seen each other in over a month now. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, wound up uh, in the checkout line behind each other. And <laughs> then we get outside and uh, we both started sort of uh, tearing up and crying at just the sight of each other. And then oh I. Oh my off- gosh. I happened to still have some of her CDs in my car and she accidentally like when moving out took a couple of my things and I was like, Hey, you want to ride home? Um, and then, yeah. And then I, uh, gave her a ride home to her new apartment, which was, you know, weird. And then we spent this car ride kind of like crying and processing what being apart has, uh, been like. And it was, yeah. Tough and weird, but probably like good, 
but weird. Yeah. So that was challenging. Challenging. Yeah. That's what I'm harping on as a thorn. Yeah, it was wild. Insane. Food co-op. That's what you get. <laughs> I think that is like the most like honest, vulnerable answer that we've had for Thorn so far. Oh no, what have I done? No, 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 no. I love it. Okay. So thank you. You got it. I have like two exes that live in the city of Philadelphia and I do not run into them. I have not run into them once. Yeah. In like the three years or like seven years that we've broken up. And I think that is like a little bit crazy. I don't know how I've had that luck. Yeah. Of course, now that I like, now that I'm saying it, I'll probably like see both of them tomorrow or something, but. Yeah, no, that you're bringing it in. Um, yeah, I don't know. I figured that we would, she, when she moved, she was like subletting for the last month somewhat nearby. And we have a bunch of friends, like she has a bunch of friends around where I live, like our old apartment. I figured that I would bump into her at some point sooner or later somewhere i thought it was going to be like at a bar or something because like there are a bunch of bars that we both like and we both like them for a reason independent of our relationship or whatever and i sort of didn't even think about this place where we both are shopping members and like go to get our groceries once a week but like obviously like it makes perfect sense that that's where i'd bump into her yeah um yeah just wild because also we were very like i was very intentional about like hey, we need to not talk for a little while mm -hmm. before trying to communicate again in any capacity. Yeah. Like, just, like, healing time. And then instead, I'm giving her a ride with her groceries, replacing her olive oil. Like, it's just a wild time. Yeah, that's... I feel like running into your ex while you're, like, out is one thing. Running into your ex while you're doing chores. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a different vibe completely. Because it's not like you could just like turn to your friend and be like, yeah, this is my friend or whatever. You're like, hey, no, that guy's getting peppers or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no real easy out. Yeah. But I didn't want an easy out, I think. I don't like easy. So mm -hmm. I was like, all right, let's see what this is. Yeah, well, I'm glad that it was, uh, it seems like it went as well as it could have, you know. Yeah, everything happens, you know, whatever. I don't know. It all is what it is. It went, yeah, I I don't know what uh, worse would have been. It would have been like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to like get into an argument mm -hmm. in public. I, yeah, I feel like if it had been me, I would have been like, mm, I'm going to go shopping a different day. Right. <laughs> but that's, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably lacking in a little bit of courage and maturity in that area. Mm. Yeah, I'm just like intrigued by, uh, I don't know. There's so little life to live mm -hmm. uh, that, like, why not really experience everything, even if that means what, whatever it is. I'm not, like, seeking out running into her, though, for mm -hmm. sure. That's a beautiful attitude to have, though. There's so much life to live. Yeah. All right, Ben. Um, it's time for the big question. Mm -hmm. What is one thing that you don't like about yourself? Okay, well, I think it kind of turns into what sort of what we were just talking about but I was thinking about this question knowing that I had to do this and uh and it like ties in with the show I think and like whatever but I uh um I have like a, a tendency to make my life more difficult maybe than it needs to be mm -hmm. uh often and like I appreciate some of that and like what comes out of some of that but it really breeds like a whole lot of uh stress and anxiety and like whatever it is and like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that counts. If that doesn't count, then uh, I don't. I don't like um, 
I, I don't like my body, my, like, my, I like my body. It's not like a dysmorphic. Like, I, I like how I look. I don't like how it functions. Um, I'm going to write both of these things down. Okay, good. Oh, right, because it's 10. We need 10. We need 10. So I hate right. that I make things more difficult than they have to be. Mm-hmm. And I hate that, um, what was the second one? I hate my body. No, uh, I don't like. I hate how, uh, yeah, I'm weak in some places, but that's like a, 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 that's the product of a botched spinal surgery. I hate my spinal surgeon. I hate my spinal surgeon. That's which isn't myself, but I hate the spinal surgeon. I let do spinal surgery on me. I hate my spinal surgery. Wow. That was not the answer I was expecting. You are really keeping me on my toes for this episode. I try and do that. <laughs> All right. So for the for the first one, I hate that I make things more difficult than they have to be. What are some like examples of how you see that in like your everyday life or like things that have recently happened? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, the relationship was a good example, mm -hmm. if only because we were like poly um, and being poly requires a lot more, just a lot more of everything, I think, than mm -hmm monogamous relationships a lot more conversation a lot more community like which is good i like that yeah or maybe it doesn't require a lot more and it's just like a different dynamic i don't know but certainly difficult dredges up a lot of feelings that otherwise you would probably wouldn't get into a lot of conversation a lot like whatever all that kind of stuff that's a good example i guess of like a day-to-day -day thing is like non-monogamy mm -hmm. um i don't like working me neither <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's like unique. Um, I don't like working. Most people don't like working. After I got fired from my last like full time job, I sort of made the decision that it was either going to be comedy, like I need to just focus on comedy for a year. I've been doing this for like coming up on 10 years. Like I've been doing this for a while. I'm pretty good at it. But I've never like devoted full time energy resources and like what could I do if I do that and for you know, eight months of unemployment and not working or whatever. I like built up this show finally and like started doing a bunch of stuff to position myself to like create a sustainable a comedy project and like maybe make a little money from it after putting in a lot of money and time. And I'm there. But then it also just makes me poor because it's not like a surviving amount of money that I'm making from comedy. So then like, yeah, I learned how to woodwork and do carpentry in the last couple of years. And now I'm like doing that off and on. But I like sort of refuse to have a full time job, but I'm struggling. So instead, I'm like gigging at these like backbreaking fucking jobs that like shred my hands up. But it feels good. Like as much as I hate my body, I like that I can like mm -hmm. use it for work and stuff. Um so that's difficult. Trying to do a comedy show about death only at funeral homes. Yeah. I have a specific vision. I'm fine with approximating and like managing goals to like reality. But for the most part, I try and keep a specific vision. If I just wanted to do this show in like theaters and normal comedy venues exclusively, it would probably be a lot easier than trying to convince cemeteries and crematoriums and funeral homes and all sorts of places to like let me do this show there. Mm -hmm. Was it scary for you to make the choice to not seek out a full-time job and put your full focus into comedy? Or was it like not scary in the sense that you were like, this is what I have to do? It was something that I had thought about since getting that job. Mm -hmm. So like the trajectory was everyone in my life sort of dying starting in 2017. 
right? Like my dad died in 2017. I had been working full time selling wholesale electrical supplies. And then people started dying. And then I had to quit my job in order to take care of people. And so like, mm-hmm. I was taking care of my grandparents just about full time for a year, eating through my like savings and like kind of gigging here and there, but really not much. And then it got to a, a point where I needed to get like a job and I got some shitty fucking customer service job that I hated. But I sort of told myself, this is my last job. Whenever this run is up or whenever I have like enough saved up that I can like devote to comedy, I'm going to do it. And then I got fired like May of 2021. I was like, okay, I'm going to get severance and unemployment. And now I can do the thing that I said I was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. The short answer is no, it wasn't scary because I had it in my head going into that job. It's scary now Uh because I'm being like, okay, I've just spent the last two years fucking around and having fun and like blowing through a lot of money and then also devoting myself to like this one project. And I have plenty to show for it and I feel great about what I was able to do, even if I had my eyes set wider and bigger and like I don't know if I'm on that trajectory with it yet but I kind this is where I made it more difficult it's like I feel like I've locked myself into this lifestyle where I'm gonna be like gigging and then just trying to make comedy be like as much as it can be until it's more sustainable and I don't know I don't know but I'm not going back to full-time employment I don't think I don't I don't know and, you know, what I have to say to that is congratulations, because you're, you're doing it. I'm doing something. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I got to buy a dresser, mm-hmm. my ex took the dresser. So, like, I don't, I, I still, I'm not making enough money doing comedy and carpentry to just, like, buy my dresser right now. And I got a lot of debt. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing that would fix all of that is just getting a full-time shit job that I fucking hate. But I just can't. So I don't know if it's something to be proud of. It's like, it's a, I think it's a weakness, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Would you say that's something you don't like about yourself, that you refuse to have a full-time job? Yeah, I mean, I guess if we got to just get 10, if I could make uh, being a performer a full-time job, whatever the fuck that meant, like, I would do that. Mm-hmm. I would do warm-up for some fucking late-night show. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I've been, I mean, also, I've been working full-time for, like, the last month. I just mean like full time year round. Yeah. It's like I can do I think three months at a time maybe or my ideal would be like a three day work week and like six hours. Not even four hours a day. I can do five days a week if it's only four hours. I come in for four hours, you pay me the same that you would pay me for eight. Like I'll do that. Full time meant twenty hours a week. I'm in. Yeah, I This is something that I think about a lot because I've been at the same full-time job for the past like over four years. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot about the times where I like had three separate part-time jobs and I was like constantly running around and I had like one free day a week. Mm -hmm. But it also gave me so much more time to do like fun stuff and like creative stuff because I wasn't worrying about like answering emails or like yeah. what tomorrow was going to be like like I did not have Sunday scaries because I was working on a Sunday you know right no totally yeah no I think that makes sense the difficult thing about working full-time for me is that when I'm trying to like book out a tour 
because these are not like normal venues where it's just like, hey, I'm going to email you. You, We do it all through email and I can email you at 9 p.m. on a Monday after work and then you'll get back to me at 2 p.m. in two weeks and like whatever. This is like, hey, I'd like to do a comedy show in your cemetery. Yeah, can we hop on a Zoom? <laughs> right. But like I can't be hopping on a Zoom every day after work or whatever. Like the fun creative shit that I want to be doing is also that admin email shit that just feels like a job. Yeah. So like when I say a full-time job, it's like I don't want a full-time job working for someone else and making someone else money. If I'm going to have to be working in order to, uh, you know, participate in capitalism or whatever, like I want some of that to be me generating my own income and money and that I could redistribute it how I need and when I can or whatever, like whatever it is. But yeah. Yeah, making other people money sucks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I had another thing that I wanted to ask you about. What was it? Oh, um, your spinal surgery. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah, no, when I was 19, I had, like, really bad back pain. And then it, uh, after, like, a bunch of CAT scans or whatever, it was obvious that, like, my uh, my discs were, like, compounding on my sciatic nerve or whatever and mm -hmm. then this guy was like well we could shave the discs and free up the nerve and then you wouldn't be in pain anymore uh we did the surgery and I don't really have much pain anymore but I am like completely numb in like uh the like last two toes going all the way up my leg of my right leg and so I like have a lot of mobility shit mm -hmm. that's like annoying it's just like it's hard like I can't run good mm -hmm. um my like balance when I'm like on a ladder which I'm on often through carpentry oh yeah like my balance is just kind of like a little tweak and there's just like residual pain um like in my foot itself because I just walk different now um and I put like a lot of pressure on that side of my foot so that's mostly why I don't like it because it semi-paralyzed me but the lack of pain was good Though I was addicted to, like, opiates for two years after. So, oh my you gosh. know, you, you really got away uh, all the things. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm listening to all this, to all of this, and I'm like, Ben, you've been through so much. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I feel like a normal amount. Maybe <laughs> so much. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't like thinking about it. Like, oh, I've been through mm -hmm. so much or anything like that. Like, I maybe I have. I don't know. Everyone's been through their own version of a lot. Mm -hmm. So true. All right. It's time for us to start our second segment. It's called Let's Unpack That. Okay. I have a series of questions for you, and you can give me short answers. And if I want you to expand on it, I'll say, let's unpack that, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. Okay. The first question is, what is your hometown, and what's one thing you don't like about it? Uh, Long Beach, New York. And uh, all the the uh, weird Republicans. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> I think I've been there. I think I've been to like a diner there that makes like crazy milkshakes. Oh my God, you absolutely have been to that diner. Yeah, they do make <laughs> crazy fucked up milkshakes. That's right next to Country Boy Bakery, which has really good challah. So if you're ever there for a Shabbat dinner, go to Country Boy and get some challah. Country Boy, love that. That's have good cannolis. Nice. All right. Uh, next question. Mm -hmm. What is one word that describes what you were like in college? Ooh. 
depends which part of college, uh-huh. but uh, or which college rather. But I would say motivated. Motivated. That's a good answer. Okay. Um, I feel like I always say, let's unpack that for this question, but I feel like I have a reason to for yours. You said two different colleges? <laughs> yeah, so the year that I got, like, right before, I got spinal surgery in May of 2008. Uh, in October of 2007, I got kicked out of uh, my first school for selling weed after getting arrested and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a wild year. Um, I don't have to include that on the podcast if you don't want me to. I think it's okay now. Okay. Yeah, you could do that. It's legal everywhere almost. So, allegedly mm-hmm. selling weed. Here, throw, just, <laughs> if you can edit the word allegedly in when I said that. <laughs> yeah. All right. If there was a zombie apocalypse, what would your fatal flaw be? And you're not allowed to say glasses because everybody says glasses. Wait, what do you mean? Everybody says that their fatal flaw would be like their glasses would break and then they wouldn't be able to get new ones because there's no eye doctors in the zombie apocalypse. Oh, uh, no, my fatal flaw would be that I love too much. You love too much? Yeah, I think I love, I love really hard. So I think I would, um, I would be constantly be getting hurt by falling in love with people and then they'd either be eaten up or they'd, I'd fall in love with a zombie or something and yeah, it'd be a mess. This is a storyline that I would want to see. This is my Walking Dead. Cool. We can write it together. <laughs> um, what is your weirdest hidden talent? Mm-mm. I don't got one. I really, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't have That's fine. shit like that, I don't think. The other side of this question is if you could acquire any skill you don't currently have, what would it be? Oh, um, any skill I don't currently have. Oh, God. There's so much farming. I want to know how to farm. I like. I really have. I want to farm so bad. And um, yeah, I want to learn farming. Do you want to like own a farm one day? Yeah, that's the dream. I think. Have you ever tried like growing your own like fruits and vegetables or anything like that? Uh, it's kind of hard in apartments, you know. But mm-hmm. I have tried growing some peppers, which were inedible, and then <laughs> um, some uh, herbs. But never anything substantial. But yeah. That was one of the things I bought at Costco. I bought like a little um, set of four different herbs in pots. Nice. I hope that I can keep them alive because I'm not good with herbs. It's different from like houseplants. I hope you can too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm not, I let all my houseplants die over the summer mm-hmm. last year and I have like three left and I have to really replenish them. So if you have any cuttings, uh, <laughs> When I'm down in when I'm down in Philly, I'll be at your door with a jar of water. Honestly, yeah, I could probably hook you up. I've got some I've got some real big monsteras growing. Oh shit! Um, oh. That I'm really proud of. <laughs> oh, wow, that that is sick. Yeah, I want to get a whole bunch of trees in here. I think my cat would like that. Oh, you have a cat? I do. He's say hi, Omar. Omar, hi, buddy. Oh, he's got one eye. Oh, I love... How long have you had him? Ooh, I have had him for uh, almost... It'll be 10 years this August, and it's his birthday in two days. That is amazing. Well, happy early birthday, Omar. <laughs> happy early birthday, Omar. Yay! <laughs> um, 
Okay, the last question in this segment is, what is the last thing you spiraled over? Spiraled over? Hmm. What does spiral mean here? I don't... I usually just think of it as, like, you're you're thinking about it over and over. You can't stop thinking about anything else, and you have to be like, you have to be like, I need to stop. I need to breathe. I need to pivot. Yeah. I so rarely allow myself to pivot, which maybe that's the thing I hate. Um... Huh, what was the last thing I spiraled over? I don't know if I count anything I that happens as spiraling. I guess, yeah, just like some uh, uh, poverty, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, yeah, the last uh, month and a half or so before I was, like, working again consistently, I just, like, I am spending a lot of money and incurring a lot of debt and then uh having to like replace stuff through the breakup and like yeah yeah there was like a couple weeks where you know i went back to applying to like some of those shitty customer service jobs just to like see what the fuck could happen and maybe a healthy salary for a year would do me good or something Mm -hmm. and then thankfully i like looked into this carpentry thing but poverty is definitely something i spiral over Mm -hmm. and it's like when you're in those situations it's always hard because like I feel like it always feels like, or it often feels like you take one step forward and then two steps back kind of situation. Like I could see that definitely with like already being in a position where you're like nervous about it and then going through the breakup and having to worry about like replacing stuff on top of everything else you're already going through emotionally. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for, uh, for sharing those answers during let's unpack that. Of course. Um, so I have some questions for you about comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you mentioned that you started doing comedy 10 years ago. Just about, yeah. Where did you start comedy and why did you start? I started here in Brooklyn. Why I started. I don't know why I started. I was bored. I had been applying to grad schools for philosophy PhDs um, because that was the trajectory I was on. Something about doing academia, just like, I don't know. I had like, I spiraled uh, over having like a career, trying to make a career of academia and not being really that into it and feeling like I was doing it out of some sort of fault. I don't know why, but that it like wasn't right for me, whatever it was. And so I withdrew a bunch of my applications and then I went to an open mic. I don't know why I went. I like, I don't remember the thought process. I never had a big dream of like doing comedy. I like, Mm -hmm. I remember like watching comedy and comedians and like knowing about them as a kid or whatever, but it wasn't like, Ooh, I gotta do this or something. Yeah. I think I just wanted to like uh, have some sort of attention on, on some level. I don't know what it was, but this was like November of 2013. I went to an open mic and I like watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like realized all these people who were up there, like it was not funny. Like nobody made me laugh. They were, um, and I was like, oh, I could absolutely not make people laugh. Like that seems easy. I think what I missed about academia was like presenting papers and talking in front of a panel. Cause like I was doing education. I was like teaching. I was, um, like I can't count, like I liked holding court and I liked managing a group on some level, right? And like playing with groups in some way. 
And so that felt like, may, like maybe that is what felt like the next closest thing. Yeah. And it like relieved the pressure. Like I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. In fact, I could be quite stupid. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what it mostly was, was like, here's a way that I could still command the crowd or seem interesting or whatever without um, having the pressure of like being a fucking unscrutable genius or whatever. Like I can still be flawed and dumb and whatever. Mm -hmm. That is really funny because like, I feel like when you do become a performer, there are always those clues that you like always had that like part of you like for me like I used to be like a theater kid okay but I also like was an RA in college and also like really liked doing powerpoints where I was able to like make jokes or Mm -hmm. like or like when you're an RA you have to make these like educational bulletin boards and I would always make mine into like jokes okay so when I think about that kind of stuff I'm like yeah it all it all tracks (laughs) yeah I don't yeah I still don't know if it all tracks for me but mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable saying I'm good at it. And so, like, as long as I'm good at it, I'm going to uh, keep doing it. Yeah. All right. Um. So you've already touched on a few things about your show, Live After Death. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So it's inspired by me losing seven people within the span of three years. And it's interactive. Um, whether through audience participation in bits themselves. It's kind of like circus arts mixed with comedy and crowd work and clowning and all sorts of C words. Um, It's cathartic conversations throughout. There are these vulnerable moments throughout the show that are specifically designed to get everyone in the room teary-eyed and emotional and sharing um (laughs) where we spin the wheel of vulnerability and talk about whatever it lands on um and you know a bunch of goofs and gags and shit like that throughout and I do it at funeral homes that was one thing that I wanted to ask you that you like touched on a little bit do you it's through I'm just curious about like the idea of like contacting a funeral and being like hey can I do this yeah I mean like the first one was because my friend Lily worked at the first funeral home I did it at Mm -hmm. um and then the second one that I'm doing it at here in Brooklyn now uh Blair Mozzarella funeral home Lily also is like friends with the owners and has worked with them and like got me in um with them however on the road yeah usually it's either cold emailing people or getting in touch through people who have seen the show because like a lot of Funeral directors, morticians, crematory people, like death doulas, all sorts of people come out to see the show. Um, And then occasionally they'll like connect me with people, which is a much more successful avenue than just cold emailing people and being like, hey, I got a show. Yeah. (laughs) How long have you been doing the show? Uh, The show as the show started, I did the first version of it, like (sighs) November of... 2021, I think. Let me double check. December. It was early December of 2001, I think, um, where I did... Why am I saying 2000? 2021, uh, I did the first version, and then Omicron hit, and so I had to like take a couple months off 
And then I did the next one, I think, January, like the end of January. That was last year. And then I've been doing it since. But a lot of the material I've been doing since 2017. Okay. Like since my dad died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here and there. Like for the first couple of years, it was the only thing I was doing. Uh, And then obviously took like a few years off from doing that because it was boring uh, or whatever. But then I was finally able to like do the show just as the pandemic started. Uh, so I had to like cancel a tour where I was going to initially workshop it as a show and like all that type of shit. Right. I think that you were supposed to come to Philly like, mm-hmm. like at the end of March or something. It was the end of March 2020. Yeah, it was uh, going to be like a three city, just like a mini workshop tour. Uh, but yeah, I was going to go to Good Good with it. Um, and then yeah, COVID hit. Yeah, sucked. Uh, but then everyone started like losing people and like grieving or whatever. And that sort of like helped me shift what the show initially was into what it is now, which was like less about my story and more about other people's stories of grief and loss. Yeah. I was going to ask you how it like evolved since you first started it. Um, so when I first came up with the idea, I think it was going to be mostly just about like my own journey with loss and very autobiographical-y kind of a thing Mm -hmm. mixed with these, like, goofy bits, um, like a juggling bit or a ventriloquism thing, seances, like, whatever it is. Uh, And then when I, like, had to cancel that tour, it was sort of like I, like, just put it on the back burner for a little bit. Like, I still needed to try this show out, but I didn't really know what it could be or would be. And then, yeah, everybody losing people and death just being like so everywhere for a year and a half or whatever sort of made me rethink about how autobiographical it needed to be um Mm -hmm. and like I can share a little but I was more interested in other people's stuff just because I sat with my own grief for so long at that point that like I was less interested in talking about mine I had done a, a lot of that at that point and so the first time I did the show it was a little bit more about like my own story, but I like loosely tried to like get other people to share, but I wasn't so intentional about that. And then by the like the second time I did it a couple months later, I was like, oh, I didn't really like that. I think I should try and get people to share a little more. Um, and I, I was able to, and then by the third time I did it in Philly, yeah, people were like really sherry. And I, like, sort of started finding a sweet spot of, like, being able to be funny while also, like, creating a, a container for people to, like, process or, like, share their, like, trauma or whatever it was. Uh, and from that show on, I kind of just made a bit more intentional about, like, being about the stories in the room instead of just my story and, like, tethering it with my story, but, like... Yeah, so that's how it's changed for the most part, is just, like, making it less about myself. I mean, the show's still about me. Like, the show, it's my fucking (laughs) show, and, like, you don't forget that it's my show. Um, (laughs) It's your show, and there's nothing they can do about it. Absolutely nothing they can do about it. (laughs) But in the same way that it's, like, I don't know if I've been uh, through so much or whatever, it's, like, just because it's my show doesn't mean that I'm, like, the only person here who could be funny or have a heartwarming story or a sad story or whatever so like let's let's see what this room can be for like an hour and change that's really cool that probably sounds that sounds to me like the show is probably like really different every time that you do it uh it's 
really different every time I do it. And then it's, uh, but then there's also like set pieces and, uh, uh, yeah. Kind of anecdotes that I'm able to share. But yeah, I mean, when you're like trying to corral a whole room and have like throughout like 10 to 20 different people participating, either by like sharing or being on stage with me, like doing something, uh, it is always very different. Does it ever feel really like heavy for you to do the show? There are some times when people share stories where it's like, ooh, that's that's hitting me. Um, and I like let people know when it is. Um, and there are like some shows where when people share whatever they share, it's like, yeah, it sticks with me for a. a a little bit and I think back about you know something that someone said or whatever it doesn't the heaviness it feels for me is always in uh how legitimate it seems to like the outside world and like I think anyone who's in the room is like wow this is a good fucking show and unlike anything I've ever seen before and this guy's really good or whatever but it's like, I'm not a household fucking name. I don't have a lot of money behind me. I don't know. And I don't even know if that's all important. And it, I struggle with that. One thing I hate is my constant battle for uh, wanting like some sort of like recognition, like legitimate recognition or whatever, uh, whether that's industry or some media or something. And then at the same time being like, that's all fucking stupid and doesn't mean anything. And look what I've done on my own in the last year. Cause like I could see that too. Um, but that's where it feels the heaviest is like, it goes back to the work thing. It goes back to like the making things more difficult. It's like, it's heavy when it doesn't feel like I'm on top of it with all the logistical production stuff emotionally. Cause I've been doing a lot of these bits about my own grief and talking about it so publicly for the last five years, six years, it doesn't feel that much, uh, of anything like now it's just like retelling a story like almost mm-hmm. like there's some nights where some things does do when I'm like sharing something it does hit a little harder I did the show last year on my dad's birthday because it just happened to fall out on the last Saturday of the month which is when I do the show um and like that hit in different ways for me and it didn't feel heavy it just felt like something more but yeah. there yeah there, I mean there's definitely times when people share shit and I'm like wow okay, you just really opened up. Yeah. Um, I'm going to preface this next question by saying that I am a crier. Do you ever, like, cry on stage during the show? Um, I have yet to cry on stage during the show. There is a moment in the show that when I first came up with it, I was like, I mean, like, so it is like a solo show. It's also on some level, I don't know, maybe a commentary on solo shows or something. Cause I'm very uh, uh, overt that I want people to cry and I need people to feel. And like, I hope that I will cry or whatever. And there is one moment in the show where when I first came up with it, I was like, Oh, I expect it uh, will make me cry every time I do it because it's a thing related to my dad that mm-hmm. anytime in the real world it happens, and I'm confronted with it, I do start crying, like planning for the show and getting all the tech ready. Uh, like I play, it's a song and it comes at some point in the show or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, when I was like planning the tech, I had to like hear the song to make sure that the audio worked. 
and I like immediately just started crying, right? And like my yeah. ex ran into like the bedroom and was like, "What's going on?" And I was like, "Oh, I was just like doing the tech, and then the song started playing. Fuck, I like this thing's gonna make me cry every time. It has not made me cry uh, at any point. I anticipate that it will. Mm-hmm. One, I started tearing up a couple shows back um, because someone had mentioned something really power. I don't even remember what it was now, um, but they were. It was like a really powerful kind of thing. Um, but I didn't really cry. But mm-hmm. I'm open to it. So <laughs> come out to Philly and make me cry on April 22nd at Blue Heaven Comedy Festival. <laughs> so when it happens, when you do cry on stage, you're ready for it. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I have I give out bingo cards at the beginning of the show. Um, Ooh. And one of the things on it, to look out for is the comedian audience cries or comedian cries um and so far i i don't think anyone i mean audience has definitely cried i have not yet it always feels so cheap when someone's crying on stage like when you know that they've like done the show a bunch of times and said a story a bunch of times especially if it's like super scripted or whatever and then they get to the point where Uh they start crying i'm sort of like where are these waterworks coming from this isn't a surprise to you anymore. And yes, it like, I know what feelings are, <laughs> but like, I'm glad that I haven't cried, right? Because it would feel so disingenuous in a way if I cried telling my own story. I like, if I cry when other people start sharing shit, uh-huh. I think that would be something. My mom's seen every show. I wish she would engage in some of the, she hasn't seen every, but she's seen a lot of them. And like, I am curious what it would be like if I asked her some of the questions, right? Because it's like, final words or whatever and like I want to hear her have to tell a room full of people with my dad's last words or whoever you know like stuff like that wow yeah that's a great answer (laughs) cool okay and then my last question for this part is is there anything that you don't like about yourself as a comedian yeah what yeah do is there are there people who say no I mean People really go either way. I feel like people on the show are like, they're either like, I have so many things that I don't like about myself, or they're like, no, I pretty much like myself. I don't think I have any answers. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that industry-related thing I said I don't like about myself. I think that I still like hold on to some sort of bitterness or grudge that I'm probably always going to yeah have to DIY this shit, which is more challenging and stressful or whatever. Um, as a performer and as a comedian, I don't know. This show in particular, I feel like I'm, like, firing it. I keep saying this and using this phrase, and it's so stupid. But, like, I do feel like I'm firing on all cylinders um, in terms of, like, I think it captures who I am as, like, a performer in general and what my comedy can maybe be and, like, exist in some sort of, like, different space but then there are other times when I I wish I could just um write a joke Uh (laughs) like I'm not good at jokes and like I can do it sometimes but for the most part I'm not really great at jokes and um there's like stuff that I just wish I wasn't um I think sometimes I just tell myself I'm like oh I don't need to do jokes I'm so funny just doing goofs and gags and like riffing or whatever Mm -hmm. which like I think is true but yeah I don't know uh, but I also think I'm, like, the greatest comedian living, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. That, 
hard to say I could be better. That's going to cancel out like the entire list. Right. I'm going to get to the end and be like, oh, I don't know where the list went. Yeah. All right. So we're reaching the end of the podcast. Word. And I've written down six things that you don't like about yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to, I'm going to bully you and pressure you into coming up with the next four. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Number seven. What is it? I guess I don't like that I smoke cigarettes. Okay. I do think it's cool, but it's expensive <laughs> and it makes me smell and uh, it's annoying and it's bad for my health, but it, I do look cool. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you been uh, a smoker? Uh, oh my God, since I was like 14 or something. So coming up on 21 years. Wow. Jesus. That's wild to say out loud. <laughs> All right, number eight. Oh, God. I'm not, oh, uh, I hate, I hate how I'm a bad baker. I'm like a really good cook, and I'm an awful baker, and I think I would really be able to elevate all of my culinary skills if I could bake, but like, I'm, it, I hate directions and like science, and baking is a science yeah. and not improv and free flowing energy the way that cooking is. I wish I was. A little bit more willing uh, to appreciate the science of baking. Yeah, that's what everybody always says. Cooking is an art and baking is a science. Mm-hmm. Did you did you get into like trying, like playing around with baking during mm-hmm. the quarantine part of the pandemic? Absolutely. And I made a couple really good breads and a whole lot of bad breads. <laughs> but, you know, maybe this is the summer where I get a new starter going and I really give it my all and learn. Nice. Sourdough summer. Sourdough summer. Good luck to you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Number nine. Um, I hate that I, you know what? I said it during the um, zombie thing. I hate that I love so much. It gets, uh, it can be exhausting sometimes. Okay. And then number 10, last one. Um, gotta make it count. Gotta make it count. I hate my wardrobe. I hate that I never know exactly what to wear because partly it's because I'm colorblind, but also um, I like like wearing anything and then I'll get bored of it or something and I like don't know. I feel like I never have a, have had a style. Mm-hmm. Like I've been able to like look good, be hot or whatever. It's not like I don't think I'm hot. I think I'm hot, but I like I, I wish I had a, a style, a more defined style. That would make it easier to, like, buy shit, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a pattern. I, I do patterns uh, or whatever. But sometimes I don't want to wear a pattern. And so, that. <laughs> do you ever, like, find yourself wearing, like, just the same thing over and over and over again for a while? Absolutely. Yeah, just because it's, like, easy. But it makes me feel like shit. Because I'm like, oh, great. I have absolutely nothing to offer. I'm just wearing the same fucking hoodie and jeans. <laughs> Yeah, I always say that it makes me feel like a cartoon character, mm-hmm. and I also get nervous that people are going to, like, call me out on it and be like, why are you wearing that shirt again for, like, the 17th day in a row? Yeah, well, in the same vein of the cartoon character, I do feel like it gets me in, like, I become the same person or whatever. Like, I, there's no, whatever I'm wearing always does shape my, like, attitude and personality and, like, disposition for the day or something like that, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I think... If I wear something when I'm feeling like lazy or tired or sad or something, and then I just keep wearing it, I'm going to stay in that mindset. And I like, I don't like doing that. So I do think it's important to like, yeah, I don't know. 
they'll just start wearing suits. You should. You should um, <laughs> pivot to being a suit comedian. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is something to think about for sure. Or you could wear, like, uniforms, like, uniforms of, like, different occupations. Oh, yeah, that would be good. <laughs> like the village people. Yeah. All right, so we have reached our 10 things that you hate about you. Hell and it's yeah. time for me to do a reading of your list. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Number one, I hate that I make things more difficult than they have to be. Mm-hmm. Number two, I hate my spinal surgery. Number three, I hate that I refuse to get a full-time job. Number four, I hate that I don't allow myself to pivot. Number five, I hate that I want recognition and to be seen as legitimate. Number six, I hate that I am bitter towards the industry. Number seven, I hate that I smoke cigarettes. Number eight, I hate that I am a bad baker. Number nine, I hate that I love so much. And number 10, I hate my wardrobe. Perfect. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel uh, red to filth. <laughs> no, um, accurate. I stand by it. Yeah. It sounds crazy hearing someone else say it, but uh, <laughs> I'm just like, do I hate these things about myself? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I stick by it. Yeah. Okay, so we have reached our final segment. So what do you want me to do about that? Where you assign me homework for the upcoming week, which can be any task that you think could help me feel good and hate myself a little bit less. So for last week's homework, Kyle told me to go for a long walk and think about creative stuff. And? Which I did. Okay. And it was great. I came up with a lot of ideas, okay, cool. and I wrote them all down, and we'll see what happens next. My thing lately is coming up with ideas for, like, songs okay. that I want to write. Cool. Um, which is something that I have, like, always wanted to do, but never been, like, I've always been, like, I don't know what I would write a song about. Mm-hmm. A-, a comedy song? Yeah. But now I'm, like, I got it. I cool. Got it. So, <laughs> effective. That rules. Ben, what do you want me to do for this coming week? And it has to be productive, right? It could be productive or, you know, just just for the soul, whatever. Whatever you think is good. Do you have a bathtub? I do have a bathtub. Do you take baths? I don't think I've ever taken a bath in this bathtub. You should take a bath. Do you like baths? I I think that the reason I don't like baths is, is because it feels like it's like a whole production. It doesn't need to be. <laughs> you have to fill the tub. Yeah. You have to get like the... The, the bath bomb or whatever and and then I'm I'll be in there and I'm like what do I do now <laughs> do you read I that's the other thing I'm like not a reader and I feel like that is the one thing you do in the tub okay um I'm trying I'm trying to be a reader though so maybe this is my chance uh, this is your chance I, okay well I mean my number one is to take a bath because I, I do that so much and it uh is important to me but if uh you're trying to be a reader I say just make sure that you read uh, two chapters. If you've got a book going on, two chapters this week. Make the time. Or 15 minutes before bed, read. That's going to be it. I'm going to try and do it too this week. Cool. The last 15 minutes that I'm awake, phone away, just reading. This is going to be like Ben and Sam book club. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, except different different books. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll I'll text you every every night right before I'm going to bed with my book open so you know. Yeah, and then I'll have to answer with mine, and it'll be like 
we're we're um keeping each other accountable. Yes, completely. Cool. All right. So the reading is going to be my challenge for this week. Cool. And then I'll do the bath as like a bonus. Maybe I'll do the bath. Can't wait to hear the report back. <laughs> All right. We have reached the end of the episode, Ben. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? I'm assuming like your Philly show, obviously, but are you doing Live After Death in any other cities soon? Um, I am going to, well, I'm doing it in Brooklyn uh, every month on the last Saturday of the month at Blair Mozzarella Funeral Home in Ditmas Park, Flatbush area. Um, doing it April 22nd in Philly at Blue Heaven. In June, I'll be taking it on tour to uh, most mostly as of right now, New England. More dates are going to be announced. It's super stressful trying to make uh, a tour happen while also working. And so yeah. uh, it's mostly going to be a dates being announced as they come in. Um, but yeah, it'll be all over. It'll be on the West Coast at some point at the end of the summer whole bunch of good stuff. Awesome. Very excited. I can't wait to go to your Philly show and I know that I'm going to cry. So yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Ben Wassergram and on Twitter at Ben Wasser tweet. Nice. Easy. <laughs> Easy. All right, Ben, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Thanks for having me, Sam. Thank you for listening to another episode of 10 Things I Hate About Me. Buy tickets to see Ben's show live after death in Philly. Follow Ben on social media. Follow me on social media. Follow the podcast at 10 Things I Hate About Me pod. Let me know what you hate about yourself. Okay, love you. Bye.